Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Excited about this chapter to be with you guys. I've got a question for you as you're turning to Hebrews chapter 5. How many of you have ever messed up? Like, you got saved and then you sinned. How many of you? Okay, why did some of you not raise your hands? You must not have heard the question. Okay, I'm going to ask you one more time. How many of you, like, you got saved? You got saved. Like, you know you're going to heaven, but you yelled at your husband this week. You yelled at your wife this week. You thought something you shouldn't have thought this week. <laughs> Listen, this is not, don't worry, this is not Roman Catholic Church. I'm not about to tell you how, what you got to do. I just want us to all recognize we're on the same page here. Amen? Amen? And that's the page that we find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 5. Would you go with me to the Lord in prayer? Father, we pray and we pray and we pray again because we believe that if we ask you to fill us with the power of your spirit, that you said all we have to do is ask and you'll do it. And so, Lord, we approach your word knowing that we have a need. We have a need for your spirit to give us understanding. And so, Lord, just as you did to the church in the first century world, would you do for us now? In Jesus' name, amen. These Christians and Hebrews, the first century world, they're discouraged. We've learned that they were being persecuted. They were facing pressure from their family and the problems of life around them. They had some issues in this first century world. So the writer, he's encouraging them. He doesn't want them to drift away. He doesn't want them to draw back. He doesn't want them to depart from the faith. He wants them to hold fast to the confession that they made in Jesus Christ. And he's proving that Jesus is better than anything that you would go back to anyway. He says, look, he's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. Why would you go back to empty religion when you have a relationship with? with the Son of the living God. So inspired by the Holy Spirit, the writer knows that there are those that are reading this letter for the first time who have drifted. They've made a mistake. He knows that some of them have departed. Some of them have drawn back, and they've not communicated the gospel to their family because they were afraid. They've not lived boldly in their world because, well, they didn't want to be persecuted or face any more problems. He knows that they're convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he wants to assure them. Right here in Hebrews chapter 4 and 5, he takes a little commercial break to let them know there's a way for you to get back into right relationship with God. Now, I ask you a question. How many of you have messed up before in faith? Like, you're saved. You know you're saved. You know you're going to heaven, but you sinned. Anybody? Just want to put us all in the same... Okay, one of them. 
I don't know why you guys in the back there, you just don't want to raise your hands. I'm just a little concerned back there. If you've not sinned, we want you to come and teach, okay? <laughs> Amen. My hand is up as well. Hebrews chapter 4 and 5 speaks to all of us, not just to the first century world. Because if we're honest, there have been periods of time where we've drifted away. Amen? There's probably been a period of time where you drew back, where God's Spirit told you, speak the gospel, and you didn't do it. There's probably been a period in your life where you departed. And true to his word, Jesus left the 99 to go and get you. And you're back. And here you are sitting at Calvary Chapel, South Bay. Let me tell you why. You had a Christian mother praying for you. And that's what brought you home. And in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, the writer knows that they're convicted. And so in chapter 4, would you take a look as we just as a measure of review, look at verse 14. Seeing then that we have a, and I asked you to underline this one time before, a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points, all points, tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He knows they're convicted. He knows they've drifted away. He knows they've departed. He knows that they've drawn back. So he wants to take them a little commercial break. And in fact, the next five chapters, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, are going to be about our great high priest. Did you read that? He's not a high priest. He's our great high priest. But before I go on, I need to take a moment to help, well, kind of update us as to what in the world is a high priest. Give us some understanding because most of us don't have historically first century history underneath our belts. Some of us don't come from a Jewish background. So the idea of a high priest, what in the world is the role of a high priest? You see, they're convicted. And they're wondering now, in Christ, who do I turn to for the forgiveness of sins. I mean, when I was a Jewish person, I would run to the temple with my lamb and I would confess my sin to the priest and the priest would sacrifice his lamb and I would be back in relationship with God. That's what I know. That's what the first century world knows. The high priest would receive the sacrifice. He would offer it to the Lord and it would atone for their sins. But now... Now they've been kicked out of the temple. Their families don't want them to come to Hanukkah celebration. Now, because of the problems and the pressures and the persecutions that they're experiencing, where do we go now? I feel convicted. I would usually go to the temple. I would usually confess to someone. But now, who do I turn to when I've messed up? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to assure them and us that we have a great high priest. A great high priest. Not just a high priest. We have a great high priest. 
that Jesus is the way for us to get back into right relationship with God if we've drifted, if we've drawn back, or we've even departed from the faith. Jesus can sympathize with our weakness. And when we show up to Jesus at the throne, take a look at the throne. When we show up to Jesus at the throne of grace, he looks at us and he says, you nasty little human being. I knew you'd mess up. (laughs) That's why I had to die, because you couldn't do it. How many ever heard that from Jesus? You went to the throne of grace and he was mean. You went to the throne of grace and he was unkind. You went to the throne of grace and he kicked you to the curb. It's not the throne of grace. He says you'll obtain mercy and you'll find grace when you come. He is the way back. Jesus can sympathize with our weakness. He was tempted in all points but he was without sin. We can go to Jesus, repent of our sin, and we're not, we are going to find grace. We're not going to find hostility because he's our great high priest. And what chapter 5 is going to do, it's going to help us understand this just a little bit deeper so that if we have drifted, if we have departed, if we have walked away, But maybe you'll know you can run to the throne of grace. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Now he's speaking about, about a very special day in the Jewish calendar known as Yom Kippur. It's the Day of Atonement. It's usually sometime in September, October, that last week of September, that first week of October, where the sins of the nation are forgiven. And the high priest, would you take a look, for every high priest taken from among men. Now what the writer does, he goes back to the original intent of the high priest to describe God's heart for this particular position. He was taken from among men. You see, the high priest was to be descended from Aaron's line. Aaron was the first high priest, the brother of Moses. Remember, Moses didn't want to go by himself. And so God sent Aaron along with him. And Jesus would even say that we should go two by two. It's why when I came to Calvary South Bay, Pastor Zach came along with me. Because I believe in the way that Jesus said that we should go. We should go two by two. So here, Aaron was the first high priest. He was, and the rest of the priests were to follow in Aaron's line. So Aaron had a son by the name of Eleazar. Eleazar had a son by the name of Phinehas. And each of them were high priests, and they were called by God, this particular family, and the eldest son would then take on the mantle of being the high priest. He held this position for his whole life. However, something happened. By the time we get to the first century world, by the time we get to the time of Herod, the high priest was no longer the family line of Aaron. The high priest was appointed by Herod, and he would pick among the priests that favored Herod the most. 
So the high priest was supposed to be descended from Aaron's line, but now in Herod's time, the high priest was picked by Herod, and he picked the one that had the most allegiance to Herod. Now this high priest line would last for just about a year. This would develop a priestly class. So that means you were high priest for a year, then you were deposed, but you were still given the privileges of being the high priest. Do you remember maybe some of the confusion of, was Annas the high priest or was Caiaphas the high priest? Both of them were the high priest. Annas served one year, Caiaphas served the other, and they were given the same power of the position, even though only one held the position. It was called the priestly class. They were there, and they existed, and they, exi- they enjoyed all the perks of the position, even though they may not be holding it. But after Herod, it got worse. The Roman government appointed the high priest, and no longer was it the line of Aaron. No longer was it even in the priestly class. You can buy into the high priest. He, the Roman government would give the high priest to the highest bidder. This is what they were living in. So the people... They began to disdain the high priest. No longer was he a minister. He was an employee of the Roman government. In fact, during the revolt in 66 AD, when the zealots took over Jerusalem, they expelled the high priest. And some of them, in that priestly class, they didn't let escape. They killed them. They disdained them. They did not like their senior pastor, so they got rid of them during the revolts because they were no longer a senior pastor. They were an employee of the states. This was the times that they were living in. So what the writer does is he goes back to the original intent because the high priest really didn't have the image that the high priest was supposed to have when God picked Aaron and it was to come from that line. I know in our sense, it's a world that we live in today. I was at a church for 28 years. And after 28 years, my senior pastor, well, there was a big issue. And he had to step down. And we read about all of these pastors, and we could begin to think to ourselves, wait a second, what's going on? But I always respond to say, they're the ones that make the news. There are thousands of pastors that are purposing to honor God and to keep his name holy. We've got to make sure, and I believe what the writer is communicating to us, that our eyes have got to be fixed on Jesus, who is our great high priest. We can't fix our eyes on a man. Amen? Because man's going to disappoint you. And I know this is hard to believe, but I could disappoint you. My wife's like, really? But just imagine, the high priest was no longer a respected position. You really were just a paid government employee. But the high priest, take a look back at Romans chapter 5, verse 1. He was picked from among men, appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he might offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. The high priest was a mediator between God and the people. You would go to the high priest, 
and you would, when you went to the high priest, you would let them know that you've sinned, and the high priest would take your offering, and he would pray to God on your behalf. You see, he was taken from men to minister to men as an act of grace. Let me communicate. Let me help you understand. God was very aware when he gave the children of Israel the law that none of them would be able to live up to it. It was the whole point. The whole point of the law was to show the Jew, you're in need of a Savior. There's no way that you can live to perfection. You need someone to do it for you. I'm going to send you my son, Jesus Christ. But when the people sinned, they were afraid to approach God. So what he did was he appointed a mediator, the high priest. And so what God did was he provided a way for the people to get back into right relationship with him. And the way that they did it in the Old Testament was through sacrifices. They would offer an unblemished lamb and they would, the priest would inspect it and then they would kill that lamb. They would have a little barbecue, put some of the lamb on the, on the grill, and it was called the altar, but I'm just helping us understand. And what I love about Israel is that no matter where you went, it smelled like 4th of July everywhere you went. I mean, they offered a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice, and there was so much sin going on in Israel that people kept bringing all these lambs, and the high priest would offer that lamb to atone for their sins. And then once a year, to cover all the sins of sins that you didn't even know that you committed... How many of you have committed sins that you didn't know that you committed? Huh? Why are you raising your hand? How would you know if you didn't know that you committed the sin? So that means to tell me that you do know. You know why you know? You know why you know? We don't live by the law anymore. We live by the law of the Spirit. And He convicts us from the inside. And we know that we need to go to God to get back into right relationship. I just proved the whole law of the Spirit to you in a matter of the raising of a hand. Now, church, they didn't have the Spirit of God, so they would have to go to the high priest. But if you forgot that you sinned, well, the Israel had to be covered. So once a year on the Day of Atonement on Yom Kippur, end of September, early October, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. Now, let me tell you about his little outfit he had on. On the bottom of his outfit, he had a bunch of little jingle bells. Jingle, 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 jingle. You know why he had some jingle bells there? Because if he walked into the Holy of Holies and he had sin, guess what? When you didn't hear jingle, 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 you pulled him out by a rope on his foot. And here's what he would do. He would go into the Holy of Holies and he would offer sacrifice for himself, a bull. And then he would offer a sacrifice for the people, a lamb. And he would offer this sacrifice once a year to cover over the sins of the people. Take a look at Leviticus chapter 16, verse 30. For on that day, speaking of Yom Kippur, for on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. The high priest was the mediator. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 2. He was taken from men. Verse 2, he can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he's required, as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices 
for sins. You see, the high priest was to have compassion for the people. Imagine you come up to me, Pastor Chet. You'll never believe what I did last week. And you begin to confess your sin. And then I look at you and I go, don't you dare walk back into Calvary Chapel, South Bay, you sinner. You just get out in your car and you get out of here and don't you come back. I can't believe you sinned this week. How would you feel when you walk out? Huh? How would you feel? Thank you. You feel terrible. Can you imagine if I was that kind of senior pastor? And you walked up to me, you'll never believe I yelled at my wife. I can't believe I did it. I wish more of you would confess that. I can't believe I did this. And I looked at you and I go, you sinner, get out of Calvary. In 30 years of marriage, do you know that I've yelled at my wife? Okay, everyone go. (gasps) Look, she's yelled at me too, okay? (laughs) So when you come to me and you say, hey, I yelled at my wife, I'm a sinner. I've sinned before too. And the idea of picking a man to be the high priest, it was the idea that they're sinners. So when the repentant person would come to them and say, look, I've sinned, they would say to themselves, I'm a sinner too. Dude, I'm going to offer sacrifice. You offer sacrifice. Let's try to do this thing together, and let's try to honor God, okay? That's the heartbeat of the spiritual leader. That was the original intent of God. I picked a guy because I know that a guy will sin. So when you come with your sin, he will have compassion on you. Now you can also begin to see that the writer is prepping us for our great high priest. Because Jesus was tempted at all points, but he didn't sin. But the high priest was a weak man. And what this should have done was developed compassion in him for the people. The people would come. They confessed their sin. They were expecting some form of contrition, some form of compassion. He was to be compassionate towards those who sinned or went astray. Then why is it the church seems to trample on our wounded? If anyone should have compassion... For those that are departing, drifting, or walking away, it should be the church. Because we've been given compassion. We should have compassion on those that are walking away. That was the role of the high priest. He was to be compassionate towards those who sinned. Now once again, I want us to remember, he's writing to them because he knows they're convicted. He knows that they're going astray. He knows that they've fallen to the pressure. And what he's doing, he's slowly building his his case for the kind of high priest that we have. That when we come to Jesus, he doesn't turn us away. He's not mean. He's compassionate for those that have gone astray. In fact, he's not just the high priest. He's the great high priest that he leaves the 99 and he goes and he gets the one. It's just what our great high priest does. But unfortunately, 
The reason he had to go back to the original intent is that compassion was not the character of the high priest of the day. Remember, he was a moral, more of a moral police than he was a moral agent. He was a hired hand. He paid into the high priest. This was not what they knew as the first century world. This goes all the way back to Eli. Do you remember Eli? Do you remember the high priest Eli? Do you remember what he did to Hannah? Hannah comes in. Okay, she comes in. She's really upset. She comes in. She's there at the altar. <laughs> now, when I see this in the church, when I see this, I walk right up to that person. I go, are you drunk? <laughs> Hello, Eli. Someone is in church, and they're crying, and you look at her and you go, are you drunk, lady? Let me tell you something, Eli. Something's wrong with you, not with Hannah. You see, the idea of the high priest was not to look at Hannah and say, listen, lady, you got a problem. Are you drunk? Listen, Eli, obviously you're the problem because the Lord's about to take away your ministry. Now, when I come in here and I see someone sitting by themselves and a tear dropping from their eye, it's my job as the minister, to sit down. What's going on? Let's pray together. Let's bring it to the Lord. Now, I know what's going to happen this Sunday. A hundred of you are going to come walking in crying, <laughs> waiting for me to come. And I'm not going to see you, and you go, he didn't let, I'll get an email. I can't believe it. What if I'm ministering to someone over here, and I just couldn't get to you? I love you guys. So, to remind them of their weakness and their moral responsibility, the high priest would have to sacrifice a bull on the Day of Atonement as compared to a goat for the people. God wanted them to know, you got a job to do. And your sin, it's even greater than the sin of the people because you're the leader. So he said, I want you to know, so you're going to have to do a bull. And this bull, you're going to have to provide from your own means. I want it to cost you something. This was a big deal. He wanted the high priest to know, you're not better than anyone else because of your position. You're to have compassion because of the position that I put you in. So in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 4, he goes on, And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God just as Aaron was. No one takes this honor to himself. They're called by God. Now here's what he's doing. The writer, remember first century world, he's taking a poke at the existing system that you could buy into the high priest, high priest ministry. But the high priest was to be called by God. You can't take this honor to yourself. You can't become your own high priest just because you got the most money. Now you might think, Ah, that's not really practical for us today. Oh, yes, it is. This is very important because it's what people are doing today. It's what people are doing today. They're establishing themselves as the authority of Scripture and developing their own form of faith, saying, I am my own high priest. I will determine how I will look at Scripture. And just like it was contrary to Scripture then, it's becoming contrary to Scripture now for the sake of being culturally relevant. 
But the scripture is the authority. And the high priest position was a calling that came from God. You see, God established Aaron and his family to be in the role of the high priest. You can't buy into it. Those that tried were judged. You remember Saul? When he took the high priest position, he lost his position as king. Do you remember Uzziah? When he tried to take the high priest's position, he got leprosy. There is nothing but judgment for those who try to buy into the system. God appoints high priest, and he's appointed the great high priest. Hebrews chapter 5, now he begins to clarify. Verse 5, so also, Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest. But it was he who said to him, he quotes from Psalm 22, speaking of God, you're my son, today I've begotten you. And as he who also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now stop there for just a minute. I know we're all hungry to know about Melchizedek or Melchizedek or let's just call him Melchi. I don't know what you, how you refer to him. God called and appointed Jesus to be our great high priest. The same way that he called Aaron to be the high priest. Now this first text, you're my son today, I've begotten you. It comes from Psalm chapter 2 verse 7. And it's not speaking about the birth of Christ. It's speaking about the resurrection of Christ. Paul explains it. Take a look. Psalm chapter 2 verse 7. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you're my son, today I've begotten you. Paul takes this scripture in Acts chapter 13. Take a look at the screen. Acts chapter 13, verse 33, and he says this. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he's raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second Psalm, you're my son, today I have begotten you and that he raised him from the dead. No more to return to corruption. He's spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. In other words, the promise I made David, I'm fulfilling in Jesus Christ. And what Paul does is he takes Psalm chapter 2, and he says the begotten is the resurrection. When Jesus resurrected from the grave, God said, you're the great high priest. I'm appointing you today the great high priest. Well, one of the Jews reading this will go, wait a second, I've got a problem with this. Because Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. He's not from the tribe of Levi. And I thought that the family line of Aaron was the only way that you could be the high priest. Knowing their argument, he then pulls out Psalm 110 and says, you're a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. It's a different order. This order comes from Melchizedek's line, not from Aaron's line. It's a different order ministry. Verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. 
One thing I love about the Bible, it really doesn't struggle with clarity. The Bible just puts it out there. God has no problem telling you it is what it is. I was coming back in the plane today, and I was at the window seat. I, I had to use the restroom. The guy wouldn't get up in the aisle seat. So I said, I, I've got to get up. So you just move like this. He goes, dude, I, I said, dude, I'm a big guy. I'm not going to get past you. He goes, I'm not getting up. So I said, no, you're, you're, you're going to get up. I was very Christian about it. So I looked at him, and he finally got up. And I go, dude, you're in the aisle. It just is what it is. When you're on the aisle, you have to get up. It's just you chose the aisle. This is where you want to sit. I chose the window. You have to get up. It just is what it is. It's the way God is. He's, God has no problem saying it just is what it is. I can't tell you about Melchizedek yet because you're dull of hearing. I know we all want to get to Melchizedek. I know we all want to understand. Tell me about it. Well, we will when we get to chapter 7. He says, listen, you got to hold on for a minute because there's some other things that I need to get across to you. There's some important things to deal with before we get to Melchizedek. So I want you to hold on. And I'm asking you guys, please don't email this week about Melchizedek. Wait till Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to get there. I want you to hold on because we're just going to follow Scripture. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. The first thing he wants us to understand is the character of our great high priest, Jesus. Look at verse 7. In the days of his flesh. What he's communicating is that Jesus was taken from men. He's the God-man. He gets us. He understands He can sympathize with our weakness. That's why it's called the throne of grace. He knows everything there is to know about living on earth because he did it as a man. He knows every temptation that will come your way. He just didn't fall into sin like he knows that we do. Why do you think he washed Peter's feet? Because he knew that Peter would sin And so he was trying to get a message across to Peter. Listen, you're clean, but I know sometimes your feet are going to get dirty. And I want you to know, I can wash you up. You see, our great high priest was taken from among men to minister to men. He gets us. He understands us. And take a look what he did. In the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Stop there for just a minute. Truly, he's a great high priest. He offered up prayers. This is what a high priest does. Jesus is the mediator between God and man. He's praying for you. Do you remember the incident with Peter in Luke chapter 22? Hey, Peter, just had a conversation with the devil. He's asked to sift you. He wants you. Man, does he want you. But I want you to know something. I'm praying for you. And when you return, strengthen your brethren. Jesus knew Peter was going to mess up. And he says, I'm praying for you. 
Do you know you can't disappoint God? How can you disappoint an all-knowing God? Oh, Chet did it again. Can't believe it. How do you disappoint an all-knowing God? He's praying for you. Do you know that he's praying for you? He loves you so much. He loves you so much more than the mistakes that you will make that he stretched out his hands on the cross. And while he was on the cross, with his vehement cries and his tears, he cried out, Father, forgive them. Listen to his prayer. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Who has more compassion than Jesus Christ, who prayed for the very ones that had crucified him? You think you can't come to Jesus when he there on the cross is crying out, you've drifted away, you've departed, you've done something that you feel that there's no way that Christ can have compassion on you? Listen to the cry of the cross. Listen to the prayer. Father, forgive him. Listen to what he told Peter. I'm praying for you when you return. I know you're going to mess up, but I'm going to use this mess up for my glory. Strengthen your brethren. You see, what the writer does is he gives us a picture of the cross. In Psalm chapter 22, verse 4, I know that you think that this is a Garden of Gethsemane prayer, but this is written in Greek. And the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament, it more reflects Psalm 22 than it does the Garden of Gethsemane. Take a look. For he's not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him, but when he cried to him, he heard. Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm, and it's speaking about the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, our great high priest was praying for you. What a great high priest. And he also prayed to his father. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He trusted that God would raise him from the dead. The very act of being on the cross expressed his godly fear. He was doing what God asked him to do, though he wasn't excited about it. It wasn't like Jesus was like going, hey, 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 they're going to rip my beard out and put some nails. I can't wait to do this. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane dropping sweats of blood. He did not allow his feeling to overcome his faith that God would raise him from the dead. His godly fear is expressed by the fact that he was on the cross. Are we willing to let faith overcome our feelings? See, the resurrection proves that he's the Son of God. The resurrection proves, according to Romans chapter 1, verse 4, by the resurrection, he proves himself to be the Son of God. And take a look what the Son of God did in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. I guarantee you're not going to like this point. So if you want to stop taking notes, I'll understand. I'm a compassionate senior pastor. But I guarantee you're not going to like this point. He learned obedience by what he suffered. This will never be on a Thomas Kincaid plaque picture on your house. This verse will never be there. I have a very good friend of mine. He played in the NFL. He's the Miami Dolphins. Uh, and he played for them. And his son wants to play football. 
Now, his dad's an NFL player. He knows football. His son knows football. He knows all the positions. He knows some of the plays because his dad played in the NFL. But when his son decided that he wanted to play football, his dad took him on the field, patted him up, and gave one hit. And though he knew everything about football, he learned football. He learned it when his dad hit him and he hit the grounds. He knew football, but he had to learn it. He had to experience it in order to play. You see, Jesus Christ, it wasn't as if he was disobedient in heaven. That's not the point of learning obedience. No, no, no. As the Son of God, the God-man, he came to earth and he experienced obedience for the first time. He knew obedience. He knows what obedience is. But as the God-man, he's now experiencing it as a man. He made the choice to go to the cross. He's learning obedience. And I want you to see how he learned it. He learned it through suffering. The tool of God for his son to learn obedience, to experience obedience, was through suffering. I told you this is the point you ain't going to like. Because suffering is a tool in the hand of God to perfect us. I told you you wouldn't write it down. I told you you wouldn't put it in a Thomas Kincaid picture. (laughs) Suffering is the tool in the hand of God to perfect us. And every athlete understands this. Every athlete understands that you've got to suffer the body in order to get the gold. Every person that wants to go on a diet knows you've got to suffer the flesh and you can't have sugar if you want to lose weight. And if you want to get in spiritual shape, God suffers the flesh to make our spirit stronger. He puts us on the practice field and allows us to get hit so that we can learn what we know. He allows us to to let suffering strengthen us. In fact, take a look at Hebrews chapter 5 verse 9. And having been perfected or completed, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest. He was made perfect for the role of being our great high priest through that which he suffered. When he went to the cross and he died and he rose again, he is able to give us eternal life. He's the only one that's able to give us eternal life. He was made perfect for the role. He's the only one that can be our great high priest. God answered his prayer. He rose from the dead. And not only does he mediate for us, he became the sacrifice of sin so that we don't have to bring a lamb to God. He is the lamb of God. And all we have to do is believe in him. We can be saved. And look what the Bible says. He became the author, so he's the founder, he's the writer of eternal salvation. He wrote the book on eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now I need to stop there for just a minute. Because we are saved by faith, not by obedience. And what the author is trying to get across is this. This is what it means to be obedient. It's not a salvation of works, but it's on his word. Peter uses the same language. Take a look at the screen. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Since you purified your souls in obeying the truth. In other words, Jesus told you how to get saved, and you chose to listen to what he had to say. 
That's what he's getting across. You purified your soul. You got saved through the, uh, obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren. Love one another fervently. So what he's saying is, Jesus taught us how to be saved, and when you choose to believe, you are saved by grace, not by works, because that's how Jesus said is the only way for you to get saved. So in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 10. We're called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. The writer's made his point. He's called by God according to the order of Melchizedek. I know you had a question. He's not from the line of Aaron because he's from a different order. He's from Melchizedek's line. He's a different kind of priest because he comes from a different order. He's a great high priest. He's not just the high priest. That's why he comes from a different order. He's a different kind of high priest. He's the great high priest. You see, our great high priest can sympathize with our weakness, but he's never sinned. That's a great high priest. Our great high priest offered up prayers for us in the midst of his suffering. What high priest can claim that? Our great high priest learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He felt the full extent of humanity, even the death of a cross. And he did that for you and for me. He was perfected for the role. He rose from the grave as our great high priest. No matter who's gone astray, no matter how you've drifted, he will have compassion for you. He's a different kind of high priest. He's from the order of Melchizedek. He's not like the high priest that you know. He's speaking to the first century world and church he wants you to know. No matter how the enemy would convince you that you can't come back to Christ, he's a great high priest and he'll have compassion for you. He'll have compassion. Now he says we've got a lot more to say about that, but I want you to, this is where we close. Would you take a look? It's Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter 5, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we've much to say. So we're going to get to that in chapter 7. And hard to explain, since you become dull of hearing. I want you to see something. Of whom we have much to say. It's plural. People have debated about who wrote the book of Hebrews, but it makes it very evident here that there was many authors of this book. That there was a group of people trying to encourage a group of people. Here at Calvary Chapel South Bay, we believe in glorifying God together. And you've got this group who sees that someone's hurting. They've drifted away. They've departed And unlike what we may have experienced in the church today, they get together and they write a letter of encouragement to this group. They write a letter to inspire them. They write a letter to motivate them. They don't kick them to the curb. They don't say, listen, you sinner, get out of here. They don't say, I can't believe you messed up and you messed up bad. No, no, no. This group got together Because they wanted to inspire, they wanted to encourage those that have drifted, those that had gone astray, those that had walked away from the Lord. I'm wondering something, church.
Can we develop that reputation? Can we develop a reputation that when we don't see the person that we sit by every single week, we give them a call? Hey, where you been? I've been praying for you. Can we develop a reputation that when someone has drifted away, that we don't just let the wind carry them? We jump off our boat and swim to theirs. Can we develop a reputation as a group, as a church, like this writer of Hebrews, we, could we develop a reputation that when someone goes astray or they mess up really bad, that we don't trample them and talk, can you believe what sister so-and-so did? She got pregnant. She did it. What'd she do? Well, she got pregnant. We need to pray for her. She never feels like she could walk back into Calvary Chapel, South Bay again. Could we be the church that says, listen, you messed up, but we love you. And we're going to walk with you each step of the way. Because I fear that the church of the 21st century has become the moral police, not the moral agents in the world. Now, i got a question for you before we close. Since you've been saved, how many of you sinned? How many of you sinned? Guess what? At Calvary Chapel, South Bay, we have compassion for you. We love you. We love you so much that we don't want you to stay in your sin. We don't want you to wallow in the depth of despair. We want you to hear the word of God. He says, I got a lot more to say to you, but I can't yet. I got to deal with your relationship with Jesus and let you know he's a great high priest. You can come to him. And once you come to him, he's going to wash you up and he's going to sanctify you. He's going to make you more like him. He loves you too much to leave you where you're at. We'll take you wherever you are, but we ain't leaving you there. Amen. So Calvary South Bay, can this be our reputation? Can we be known for this? Great. I can't wait till the sinners start coming home. Father, thank you so much that we've been called a royal priesthood. That's what you've called us, a royal priesthood. We're to be your ambassadors. You're a compassionate God. You don't compromise truth. You just expect us to walk in it. And so, Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would enable us to walk in the Spirit and show your compassion to those that have drifted, to those who have departed, to those who have gone astray. Lord, I pray that we would be like the writers of Hebrews. We give them Jesus. And we'd show our great high priest is real. He's loving. And he's compassionate. Thanks for listening. And we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.